I'm going to read a page out of a book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. Between the two stands resistance. Have you ever brought home a treadmill and let it gather dust in the attic? Ever quit a diet, a course of yoga, a meditation practice? Have you ever bailed out on a call to embark on a spiritual practice? Dedicate yourself to a humanitarian calling. Commit your life to service of others. Have you ever wanted to be a mother, a doctor, an advocate for the weak and helpless? To run for office, crusade for the planet, campaign for world peace, or preserve the environment? Late at night, have you experienced a vision of the person you might become? The work you could accomplish? the realized being you were meant to be. Are you a writer who doesn't write, a painter who doesn't paint, an entrepreneur who never starts a venture? Then you know what resistance is. Once again, that book is called The War of Art, and it's the newest addition to my book club on my website, kyle.surf. So you can go to kyle.surf and in the tab there, you'll see my book club. That's also where you can check out uh, my favorite travel items that I bring with me on all of my trips um, and more, kyle.surf. Yeah, I read that book uh, just recently on a trip back from Africa. It's a short book. You can read it in an afternoon, and it kind of knocked me on my ass and made me admit how infrequently I do a lot of the things that I claim to be really into, like writing. Um, and since then, I have sat down and I have written every single day, just about. Um, and it's really hard. And I encounter resistance in many forms from getting up to eat a snack, to checking my phone, to masturbation and beyond. And it's a strange experience to know that there's something in me that has what it takes to say something that needs to be said. Um, and I don't even know what it is, but it, but it only emerges after sitting at the computer for a really long time. Um, today, I spent a lot of time sitting at the computer just writing jokes uh, for some of the open mics uh, that I do around Santa Cruz. I've been doing that uh, about three or four times a week. And it's painful, but every once in a while, I get that little moment. Um, Neil Brennan is, is my favorite comedian, and uh, he has a good line about jokes. He says, sometimes I feel like I'm drowning, and when I write a joke, it's like this little air bubble, and I get to suck it in. And for that moment, it's like I beat life. You can check out his uh, Netflix special called Three Mics, which 
in my opinion, is one of the greatest uh, stand-up comedy specials of all time. He was also the uh, co-writer of The Chappelle Show with Dave Chappelle. And uh, my buddy Chris Ryan had a chance to have Neil Brennan on his podcast, and he asked Neil about the comedy sketch uh, that they did with Clayton Bigsby, the blind white supremacist. And Chris said, how'd you guys come up with that? And Neil said, so so Dave Chappelle had a, uh, I believe it was his grandfather, was very, um, had very poor eyesight, and he was on a bus one day, and uh, he was also very fair-skinned, very, li- very um, light. And one day, a group of black guys walked into this bus, and they were like, hey, what's up, whitey? What's up, cracker? And uh, Dave's grandfather thought that they were talking to someone else, but they were all talking to him. Uh, so that was the inception of Clayton Bixby. It might have been his dad or his grandfather, but... Uh, you can go back and check out that episode of Tangentially Speaking, which is Chris Ryan's podcast, good buddy of mine, and uh, an amazing writer who um, is is someone who will read a lot of my work and edits a lot of my work and is the co-creator of the Motherfucker Awards with me. Um, super good dude. I crash at his house whenever I'm down in Los Angeles. This episode of the podcast is with Reese Pacheco. Reese is the director of the World Surf League's Pure Arm. Pure is their nonprofit. Uh, Pure helps to educate and empower for ocean protection around the world, which is um, very cool because we are at a, a, a time when... You can't be neutral on a moving train. Our fisheries are on the verge of collapse. Plastic pollution is getting to the point now where, you know, this is what we will be remembered for by our grandchildren. And to just pretend that everything's hunky-dory, I think, is uh, a big miss. So I'm very happy that the sport that I'm engaged with, surfing, um, is actually taking a stance for the ocean, um, taking a stance against plastic pollution, um, and that Reese is at the helm. He is a very clear dude, very smart dude, uh, listens to this podcast, reached out and said, hey, you want to sit down and have a conversation at the WSL? down in Santa Monica, and I said, sure, I'd love to. So we sat down at the WSL headquarters in Santa Monica in uh, a very nice little indoor theater where they show movies. I set up all my mics, and I, I said, man, this is probably some of the best sound quality I've ever had for a podcast. Most of the time, I'm out on you know, the cliffs of Moher in Ireland, and the wind's going... <laughs> Or I'm, you know, at my house and there's a dog barking in the background uh, or whatever. So it was a very professional studio and Reese is a very professional guy. So uh, get engaged with Pure. You can reach out to him. And uh, with that, um, 
I always I always forget the the guys at Santa Cruz Medicinals are so cool. They don't really give a shit about how I say the sponsorship ads, which is just great. But uh, Santa Cruz Medicinals is a Santa Cruz based CBD company that sponsors each and every one of these podcasts, and uh, they make potent CBD products. And you can get ten percent off by typing in the code name Kyle Ten to uh, any product that you want to get on. So they have CBD olive oil and. Uh, pain cream and uh, coconut oil. And I use it just about every day. They have a CBD tincture that I take before bed and um, we'll use that after big workouts as well. So you can go to scmedicinals.com. Uh, it's right in the in the description below. Um, I, you can click there. As well as uh, thank you to everyone who donates on Patreon. I really do rely on all of you. Even just a few bucks a month really helps keep this little train chugging along. If you get value out of it, if you uh, enjoy the guests that I bring on, um, I got to pay for this. I got to drive all around to get these interviews. I pay for Libsyn, which is the podcast aggregator that gets it all out. I pay for Squarespace and it's a huge amount of time. Um, And I love doing it, not complaining at all. But if you listen to this podcast consistently and you could spare the equivalent of buying me a cup of coffee every single month um you can go to my website kyle.surf click the link to patreon and uh throw a few bucks my way it uh means a huge amount so with that i hope that you enjoy this conversation with the director of wsl pure reese pacheco Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Uh, since starting podcasts, I've become increasingly annoyed with barking dogs and airplanes. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. This is nice and quiet. This is our screening room. So this is where we kind of come in if we want to watch something and, you know, look at a bigger story or some of the films that we're starting to look at. Uh, nice. And what this room is meant for. It's very new, um, but it is pretty plush. Is this whole space new? Uh, no, we've been in this site for, I don't know how long, years now. Uh, I've only been here 18 months or so. Um, but that space upstairs, if you did get to go upstairs, that space is new as of eight or so months mm. ago. So no, yeah, I, we've been growing and expanding here. That's great. No, yeah, I saw the cool. gym. I saw the kombucha, the, the cold brew coffee. You make us sound like a startup. You are like, like a Silicon Valley startup. With well, a you're lot of freebies. You're a, a startup guy, right? Is that, would you consider yourself a Mr. Startup? I wouldn't say Mr. Startup. Start up and st- stop down. Is that, <laughs> is that what, what is that? What happens when a startup ends? Is it a stop down? Uh, sunset. A sunset. Yeah, you sunset. That's that's a more graceful way of putting it, right? <laughs> well, it depends on on how you're going out. There's like the exit. There's the aqua hire, and then there's the sunset. Mm. Um, no, I, I you know I I come from startups. My experiences in startups. But I wouldn't say I'm like a startup guy. Um, I still have a great passion for entrepreneurship, and for a lot of my friends who are out there still you know, on their first company or second or third or fourth company. Um, and I believe in entrepreneurship and innovation to, to drive change. And I particularly love applying that to ocean conservation and seeing some of the entrepreneurial people who are doing great work 
uh, in the space of conserving the ocean, whether it's kelp farming or, you know, you had Alan on the show recently, right, uh, with Real Good Fish. And there are a lot of great people out there doing interesting work. So I love applying that lens to these people. Yeah. Um, and trying to figure out cool ways that we can bring that to the masses. Shout out to Alan Lovewell, Real Good Fish. Super smart guy. He's a guy. very smart guy. And the thing that I like about him is that he doesn't just talk about the problem. He is he's a very good conduit between fishermen, environmentalists, and businessmen. Totally. So his uh, his whole shtick is getting fishermen to diversify their catches because one of the big issues with uh, fishing right now is that we only catch and can bring to market a very small number of fish. But there's a ton of bycatch out there that also get brought up in these nets and they just get thrown overboard. So Alan is creating this market for more diversity uh, with customers getting uh, more interested in these fish. And I recently signed up for their Real Good Fish um, nice. subscription service, which is fucking awesome. I Once a week, I go to this house that's 10 blocks away from me. They have like 100 and 150 locations, I think, in California. And you get uh, the weekly catch, whatever it is. And there's a little story, and there's ways to cook it. And it's like this great actionable step of environmentalism like it just brings it yeah. down to the kitchen yeah we used to belong to my wife and i belong to a community sourced uh, you know a csa so to speak what for fish in rockaway beach when we lived in rockaway beach new york and so whitney icock who runs wits end pizza he's known and famously as the pizza nazi he is this um loud mouthed but wonderful human being who makes the best pizza in New York City and also happens to be a stellar fisherman, he was providing for the CSA in our local community during the winter. And so you got whatever he caught. And that's the way things used to be. We used to, like you do with your hunting and spearfishing, you get what you catch and that is it. Not this sort of model that we all live in now, which is I want this. I want this and I want it now. And so... Uh, that's what's really cool about some of these, you know, new businesses that are popping up. What Alan's trying to do, or even what, um, you know, you, who you should have on the podcast at some point is Bren uh, from Green Wave, who's doing kelp farming. Mm. Uh, he's another kelp farmer. He's based on the East Coast, but um, you know, he just wrote a book and put it out there, and he's trying to grow kelp because kelp grows like a weed. It's what the ocean naturally wants to provide. It stores carbon. It is a food we used to eat, but it got pushed off the plate over time. So there's so many benefits to kelp that are really powerful. That um, you know he's trying to bring to life and doing that in an entrepreneurial way, which is really cool. I remember during the 2011 uh, tsunami that hit Santa Cruz, our harbor got destroyed. Um, people were afraid of the radiation and seaweed, uh, dried seaweed sold out in every store in Santa Cruz because kelp is high in iodine, uh, which can help um, against radiation exposure. Interesting. Mm. So, yeah. so if we do end up in nuclear war sometime soon, it's going to be the kelp farmers that save us all. Interesting. Yeah, all right. that's a hedge against. It's the like Korean yeah, it's war. like a an aquatic uh, dystopia of Mad Max where the the, the kelp farmers rule the world. <laughs> it's not water we'll be after. It's kelp. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so you uh, have just give me a little bit of a background on the the projects that you're involved in before coming to the WSL because I don't want to miss anything. You've had a, a, an eclectic journey. <laughs> yeah, eclectic is a, is a, a fair uh, term to use there. Uh, I don't know how far back you want to go. I think what's relevant to my story um, is that I'm from Cape Cod originally. So I'm born and raised like townie um, and uh, getting the mic a little closer. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so born and raised Cape Cod, um, 
you know, grew up next to the ocean. Uh, parents had a restaurant. Uh, my dad was always getting fish from the local fishermen from New Bedford. Uh, kind of seeing that, right? Having my eyes open to that at a young age. Seeing tourism. Uh, our town's population would go from 30,000 year-round to 90,000 in the summer, right? So easily seeing the effects of, oh, all these people coming to town and what that looks like. Um, and I think that was, a, that was a strong influence on me. At the same time, my parents were entrepreneurs, so we owned our own restaurant. My dad was a chef. My mom was the front of the house. Um, at one point, we had two restaurants at the same time, so seven, 15 years each, seven years concurrently, and a flower shop and catering business going. My parents were just hustling, right? So I just kind of that's what's been imprinted upon me from my early age. And I kind of took that into everything I've done, um, which just kind of dive into things, you know, I'm, I'm pretty willing to jump into something. And so I think that's what led me into, uh, I studied film in school, uh, wanted to make documentaries that would try to save the planet, so to speak. Originally as a kid, wanted to be a marine biologist. And you're like, and- if Leo can't do it, no one can. <laughs> No, you know, I, I, I think going back as a kid, I, I want to be a marine biologist. I want to make documentary films, I, something along those lines. As an early, at an early age, I got to interview Dr. Robert Ballard, who uh, was the guy who discovered the Titanic. Um, mm. His research was all based out of my town, based out of Woods Hole. Wow. And um, so, yeah, kind of being around this stuff always made me think along those lines. For whatever reasons, you know, your high school, academia, and, and college career go whichever way they go. And I ended up in film and media and then startups and uh, started two tech startups with a friend from college, my buddy Dan, who was one of the smartest people I know. And, you know, my MO was I wanted to work with really smart people who are really passionate. And Dan was those two things. And so uh, we started our first startup, which was a software as a service video platform for uh, sports because we were both athletes. And started building that and bootstrapping that and hustling in New York City. He was in New York City, so was the other co-founder, so I moved to New York City. I never thought I would ever live in New York City being a kid from Cape Cod, but I did, and at first I hated it, and at the end I loved it, Um, specifically when I was living in Rockaway Beach, which was really amazing. Um, So we were building and hustling in that startup arena for a while, and as we were in there, we kind of saw another opportunity for a consumer-facing business, which was a video discovery platform. And so we ended up um, kind of splitting off. One guy continued to run the first business, and Dan and I left to start the new business and raise venture capital and hired a whole team and built a ton of product, a lot of engineering, very engineering-heavy culture. And uh, we ended up landing at Samsung eventually, long story short. And so that kind of, that whole experience of, you know, eight or 10 years, just really hustling and trying to move pixels around and engineering was great. And I learned a lot and I got a lot out of it, but eventually I just felt like I wanted to be working on things that were more tangible. I wanted to be doing that stuff that I thought I would be doing as a kid, which was telling the stories that are important to uh, our ocean um, trying to make a positive impact on the planet. I, I, I felt like I would only ever be judged by tying eyeballs to advertising in the sort of startup world. And that wasn't the, I don't know, that's not what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I kind of went, what am I doing here? And so, uh, quit all that. Uh, first thing I did was I got in a boat down in the Caribbean, uh, with a family friend and sailed (laughs) for 12 days from the Caribbean back up to Massachusetts. So there's four of us in the boat and sailed, way offshore, far from any phones, from any screens and anything, and just kind of did our thing and um, took that time to really reflect and then um, immediately started thinking about, okay, how can I have a bigger impact? And so I started researching and volunteering and being a part of 
groups like the Five Gyres Institute, Surfrider Foundation, um, volunteered in, in uh, Chile with Conservation Mujeragonica, uh, volunteered in Lobitos with uh, Ways for Development, just threw myself at stuff, right? Not knowing what the end result would be, but just kind of diving in and going, all right, I'm going to figure out something in this space somewhere that I can add value. And how old were you around that time? I mean, this was just a few years ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this was, I don't know, uh, early 30s, so to age myself, I guess. Um, but I, yeah, I really just felt like I wanted to have a tangible impact. I wanted to be using my, my passion for the ocean. And then I like stumble across this role at the WSL. And that was literally it. I stumbled across it and, um, that's how I ended up here. Hmm. Yeah. How'd you, what do you, what do you mean by stumble? Like, I mean, got like, in, like there was like a crack in the curb right in Santa Monica and you like stumbled in the doors like, oh, saw, shit. And they're like, hey, we're starting this thing <laughs> called Pure. You look great for it. I mean, you wouldn't happen to be an expert in ocean conservation, would you? You're like, oh, I just stumbled in here. Uh, no, Who, uh, me? no, no, no. Uh, the story is actually just, you know, I, I uh, stumbled into it in that uh, I saw it available on LinkedIn. I think I had liked the WSL on LinkedIn a long time ago or something like that. And at the time I was consulting and kind of looking for different ways to um, build businesses in and around climate change to help adapt our coastline to climate change. And then whatever, for whatever reason, I'm on LinkedIn and I see this job opening and I just went, whoa, well, that's cool. I remember when they launched Pure. Well, I wonder what's going on and dug in and um, I'm very fortunate to have got the job and uh, yeah, left Rockaway Beach to move out here and be in LA and uh, be pursuing my passion a thousand percent. Right. So you live in Santa Monica here? I live in Venice. Nice. Bike over here to Santa Monica. Okay. Yeah. And what is PURE? Sure. So PURE stands for protecting, understanding, respecting the environment. That's the acronym and that's why we always yell at you in all capital letters. Um, the mission is to inspire, educate, and empower ocean protection, starting with the global surf community. Uh, so it's really about leveraging our platform at the WSL. We now have a really massive audience and growing uh, more and more every day. How do we leverage that platform to inspire people, to educate people, to have them understand why plastic pollution is a really big problem, to have them understand why climate change is real, is happening, and we all need to act immediately. Um, so. That's the that's the kind of the mission statement. How we're building that out is being the platform for education and activation for our fans that mirrors what the WSL is doing on the sustainability side. So my role is actually dual in that I am running sustainability for the WSL and at the same time building out pure to educate and activate fans. Got it. Yeah. And you use the competition sites as the microphone to be able to talk about these issues primarily. Is that correct? Yeah, that's one of our okay. broadcast is really powerful. We reach a lot of people. It's during competition. People are tuning in to watch John John or Medina or any of our great surfers or Steph and Carissa and Lakey. And so they're tuning in to watch these amazing surfers. But as we all know, in surfing, there's a little bit of downtime there during heats, in between heats, et cetera, as well as, you know, commercial time, et cetera. So we leverage that time. to. They're like, well, looks like there's a lull in the action, eh, Potts? <laughs> Probably due to climate change. <laughs> Over here to Reese Pacheco to talk about climate change and plastic pollution. <laughs> Don't blame you know, the lulls on but, climate change. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, Potts, it looks like you hit some kelp or maybe it was a plastic bag. Back to you, Reese. <laughs> There's all uh, kinds of ways you can do it. It's just those sly, you know, I do a lot of native advertising. You know, yeah. just sly ways to push it in there. Totally. And you're like, man, yeah. John John fell because of that plastic bag. Sure. <laughs> I had I had my fantasy surfer team all lined up and it was that plastic bag that screwed him. So 
Yeah, we got we got to outlaw plastic. <laughs> got to make it selfish. It's the selfish gene. That's how we're going to get people to care. I like that. We we might need to use yeah. that a little bit more. We might need to bring you in as a specialist and advise <laughs> yeah, us on yeah. our broadcast. Yeah. The broadcast team. Sits the environmental the impacts that are making surfers bog. Yeah. That's well. I mean, but it it is true though. I mean, you know, climate change is going to have an impact on our waves. It already is. Um, in some cases, it's going to create bigger, more intense storms. In other cases, it's going to flood coastal communities, swamp out waves. I mean, this is something you know you know and are familiar with. Um, but I think that there there's a large portion of the surf community that knows this. There's a larger portion that still needs to know this and needs to hear this and needs to understand it a little bit uh, with greater depth. And so that's what we're here to do. And then you know to expand beyond that. We're not just here to reach the surf community. I mean, we really feel that W uh, WSL and surfing. Surfing is such an aspirational sport. So many people follow it, whether or not they really surf or, you know, can paddle out or whatever. It's just, a, it's a beautiful, amazing thing. And so how can we leverage that to reach more people? Like, right. That's what we see it. We see it as a platform to reach a ton of people. Right. And uh, regards to plastic pollution, obviously there's a ton of different ways to cover this issue. How have you been covering it? I know that you guys do the, the Corona events, uh, mm -hmm. and then Corona's getting involved in this. Yep. And, um, I'm always interested to know, it's almost like a, the blind mice touching the elephant, right? Like if one of them says that it looks like a pillar because it's right. touching the leg. One right. of them says it's a snake because it's touching the tail. Like, right. you know, the place that I've been most interested in recently is the connection between the fracking industry and plastic. Sure. So the reason why we have such cheap plastic, the reason why the oil and gas industry is plowing so much money into additional refining facilities is in large part because of fracking. Yeah. Um, when we frack for methane, ethane also comes out. Um, and you have organizations like, um, you know... Like our buddy Stiv. Like our buddy Stiv. Dude, Stiv's a gangster. Stiv yeah. is. Stiv Wilson and... Uh, and the story of Stuff Project. But, you know, I mean, that's that's just, that's the tale of it, right? Yep. When we talk about plastic through um, the the relevance to coastal communities and tourism. You can talk about it as a human health issue. That was, yep. Stiv brought up a really interesting point. He said, where plastic pollution is really bad in places like uh, Mumbai, India, it's a human health issue because it, it uh, clogs the drains, yeah. which breed... Um, mosquitoes and then all these illnesses that are uh, a result of that which yeah. is like yeah it's an elephant and you can touch it however you want and uh yeah what how have you guys been communicating that message well just real quick on stiv because he's a legend in the space and um you know i was lucky to be at the uh, our ocean conference last year um in indonesia and there was a round table of uh large companies and also some nonprofits, and stiv was there and he had a statement that I think was just so amazing. And he just said, you know, if you want to uh, solve the problem of single-use plastic, you ban fracking in the United States. And just that very simple sentence that helped people go, whoa, those are connected. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people lose is they, they lose the connection of these bigger things and the, the, all the long tail effects that come from that. And so I always try to keep that in mind. That message, though, is sometimes really hard to get across to an audience that is, one, primarily tuning in to watch surfing, Right, they're not necessarily here and ready for our message. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm going to talk about dark money and politics. Back to you, Potts. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it's a little too um, far. You know, so it's kind of like, whoa, wait a second, we just went down this quick sort of uh, rat hole. So you know, we have to think about how we bring our message to our fans and to our audience. And we would like to focus on solutions. We'd like to try to keep it positive. We believe that there is hope. 
Uh, we want to stay optimistic around what can be done, right? It's very easy to get caught up in the sort of, oh my God, everything's terrible. This is terrible. What have we done? And just, you know, like lay on the ground. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Trust me, I know. <laughs> I got a whole award show based on this, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So like if we hang with Adam Skolnick, you know, Adam is a friend as well. Uh, like I was saying, we have a, there's a bunch of friends in common and Adam and I can very quickly go down that rat hole of, man, we've screwed things so, so many things up, but there is hope there, there are reasons to be optimistic and I do want to continue to push those messages. And so if we can tell our fans, Hey, you can skip single serve plastic. Now is skipping a straw saving the ocean? No. Right. But is it the gateway? It is, is it the top of the funnel, so to speak, for your potential journey to becoming deeper and deeper blue, right? Mm. So some people would say deep green. I like to say deep blue, like a lot of us in the ocean conservation space. But is that your top of the funnel sort of entry point? Because once you start to see plastic, you kind of can't unsee it. You know, Ace Buckin has said, said this to me one time, and he was like, you know, once you start to see plastic on the beach, you, you can't, you, you, you take responsibility for it. And you have to, you're like, oh, I saw it. I have to pick that up, right? And so in your daily life, once you start to see the ways that single-use plastic has been creeping into everything we buy, like including, you know, single-use plastic wrapped baked potatoes or whatever, like, I mean, it's insane that that's where we've gotten to, but the industry would have you believe that that is necessary and we should do these things. And um, yeah, I just think, you know, providing people with the education so they can start to see it and go, oh, okay. And there is another way to do this. And that's what we're working on at our events is to eliminate single serve plastics. Mm. That's so, one of our, our big issues. Right. And are you getting the athletes to talk about it as well? How do you engage them with these issues that you're you're talking about? Because I'm sorry to say, John John saying no plastic is people like that more than Reese saying no plastic. Oh, sh- for sure. He's way cooler. He's, All of the surfers, everyone, I, I'm not cool. I know he's I'm, almost as cool as Steve Wilson. <laughs> Stiv is really cool. No, I, 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 I agree. I mean, I th- the reason that I'm excited to talk to you is yeah. because I mean, you you said it beautifully earlier is that you have this platform to talk to way more people than the average environmental organization. And the reason for that is because of the athletes that you have and this container that the WSL has created. Yeah. So I do think that it's a uniquely exciting opportunity that you have to communicate these issues um, in a space that is... L- kind of devoid of attention otherwise you know people don't want to just go to the environmental party you know like that's that's that that, that's doesn't sound like the best party to go to right i'd go yeah you'd go yeah a bunch (laughs) of stale white dudes would go (laughs) but you get athletes to talk about it and all of a sudden it brings in this new new audience so well, I'm going to push back on the on the stale white dude thing because I do think the environmental movement is rapidly changing and evolving. Yeah, the environmental justice movement is is in lockstep, uh, really changing. I think there are so many leading voices who are women and are black and are Latino and are from all sorts of different backgrounds because uh, you know those are the communities that are going to be affected hardest and most. Um, you know, you look at we had two insane storms in Mozambique, right? Those are the communities that are going to get hit really hard. They have the the least resources to protect themselves or to get to a new location, right? And so I think people are waking up to these things, and I'm I'm really excited by the the, the newfound diversity in the movement. Yes, um, which is really really cool. Yeah. But going back to your initial point of uh, or question around the athletes, you know, leveraging them as as uh, speakers 
about these issues is really important, right? They have such great platforms, really authentic in the way they, they speak about it. So many of them are already talking about these issues before Pure, before I got here, and they do things on their own. Um, we're trying to enable and empower them to do more. So I try to you know send them articles once in a while, kind of just keep the education flow. We're building out Pure ambassadors, many of whom are CT athletes, but we're also adding non-CT athletes as well, who are not just surfers, but maybe figures in the space. So Sal Masakel is now on board, Dr. Ayana Johnson, who is incredible. I mean, we have these people who are- Who is do- she? You got to talk to Dr. Ayana Johnson. She's 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 a boss. All right, uh, you're gonna you're gonna be my uh, <laughs> you're, you're gonna be my the, my Jamie to my Joe Rogan. You're gonna start booking all my guests. Let's do it, man. I love it. Great, another job. Um, <laughs> uh, Dr. Ayana Johnson is a marine biologist. Uh, she's the founder of a group called Ocean Collective, which is a consulting agency in and around uh, ocean conservation. She's created marine protected areas in the Caribbean. Um, she's also now creating an ocean-focused think tank, which is huge. You know, if we're going to really think about solving these problems, we got to fight fire with fire. And if you were to ask me, you know, zooming way out of my role at Pure, what do we need to do? It's like a super PAC and a think tank, right? I mean, ultimately, that's how that's how you're going to move the needle in the ocean conservation space. Now, that's not to say that what we're doing at Pure, what Surfrider Foundation, Five Gyrus Institute, Save the Waves, all these groups are doing isn't moving the needle. It is. We need all of that because you need an engaged consumer base. You need people who are daily reaffirming, skipping the straw, skipping the plastic bottle. They're, that's like their daily affirmation of like, yeah, I'm in this movement. And then we need to move up the funnel or deeper down the funnel, sorry, to be deeper blue and you know make sure that people are voting. Mm. They're, they're backing the candidates that they want to see you know win in the world and you know really kind of uh, backing the businesses that they believe in. And, is voting with their dollars. Pure going to back specific candidates? No, no, okay. no, no, no. That's that's not our remit. Right. Uh, that's not what so, we're set up to do. Sure. I'm I'm speaking it yeah, personally so, here. Well, yeah, you're here. You're here personally, and <laughs> yeah. and I and you um, made a really great point that I want to allow you to expand on a bit more. You not as a peer representative, but as Reese, tell me about super PACs and why those are important, and the idea <laughs> of creating an environmentally focused super PAC. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, ultimately, it's like I said, it's fighting fire with fire. And so it's making sure that there are dollars to support the candidates that represent the right values. Right. And so I, I think, you know, if you and I'm not expert at this, so I, I, I very quickly will define myself as a Swiss Army knife. I'm a generalist. I know a little bit about a lot of stuff I can do. I can cut a thing. I can't cut down a tree, but I can you know cut a string. Right. Like, um, so super PACs are important because we we need the funds going to the candidates who are going to make real change, right? At the end of the day, we can do all sorts of great things, but we need the right candidates putting policies forward. You know, if you look at the current state of global recycling or lack thereof, right? The global waste trade is in upheaval right now. And a large part of that is because, you know, we don't have uh, good policies regulating how we do things. And so now you have all these states and counties. First of all, we don't have a federal policy in the United States. So world's largest consumer generally. And now all of a sudden you've got all these different municipalities dealing with their waste, trying to understand what do I do with it? Do I pay more to get rid of it? Do we send it to landfill? Do we burn it? Because recycling is screwed. And so, um, you know, if we had a super PAC who had really good policies and candidates that they were funding to try and get that thing across the line, then yeah, 
I geek the out. world would be in a lot better place. I've been geeking out super hard on Super PAC really? recently. Yeah. Super are you studying the bad packs. guys or are you like Heartland uh, Institute? And uh, not to say bad guys, excuse me. Uh, but. Yeah, so I'm I'm working with Lawrence Lessig. Um, oh, cool. He's going to be presenting at this year's MOFAs, so yep. he's been helping us with that. Nice. And uh, I just wanted to, to tee you up with that alley-oop of Super PACs. Do you know about ALEC? the American Legislative Executive Council. No. So Earth. Alec uh, has conspired to block communities from acting on plastic pollution. Uh, this year they've introduced Are new these b- little guys new bills. trying to create the bans in the Southeast specifically? So, so right the now- The preemptive bans. The preemptive bans. So they yeah. have introduced okay. in North Dakota, Oklahoma, Florida, South Carolina, Utah, Utah and Missouri, statewide preemption laws currently prohibit, prohibiting 70 million Americans in 10 states from enacting bag ordinances to reduce waste and pollution in their communities. Bans on bans. Bans on bans on bans. Yeah. Uh, Alec is, they're my favorite. Uh, they also um, are, so they're, so this ties back to Stiv's point about uh, plastics and the connection with fracking. So they are financed by the oil and gas industry. Yeah, of course. Right. And then they go in and like people who are, I think it's great people that are uh, picking up plastic on the beach, like getting involved wherever you can, like see, like see what's in front of you and do whatever you can. But to take it four or five steps back and to see some of these dark games that are being played, woo, man, that's like the, the innards of the elephant. There's some there's some pretty shady behavior. Um, I, when I was in New York City, I was in New York City for 10 years and in the latter half was, you know pretty active with Surfrider Foundation, Five Gyres Institute, and um, at some point you should have Anna and or Marcus. Uh, I've had a Marcus on. You had Marcus on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm planning on having Anna on. You should have Anna on. Yeah, she's great. Anna, Anna is equally as badass. She's oh, great. Yeah. She's a friend and mentor. And um, yeah, but I was part of uh, the team with Surfrider and we were all trying to get a bag ban passed in New York City. And we heard of some pretty shady behavior on behalf of the plastic industry uh, in general. So I'm not surprised by any of that. Um, we did see a preemptive ban go in place. It ended up uh, becoming a moratorium, uh, which delayed everything. You know, another couple of years, another couple billion bags, you know, lets the industry keep doing what they want to do. But eventually New York City got it across the line, which is great. So um, yeah. That's why we need. That's why we need money. Yeah. So, given your experience and um, the diverse roles you've played in the environmental movement, um, what are the markers that you see now as being successful? Like, as in pure, like, do you have markers for yourself? Where, like, yes, okay, I'm doing a good job with what I'm doing. Or, I mean, there are a number of environmental organizations that are, let's face it, just limping along mm-hmm. in a very uh, ineffective way. Yeah. And there are organizations and businesses that are crushing it. Um, and I think that you probably have a unique perspective on um, that aspect of it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, the analogy, and this comes from startup experience too, because startups often feel like you're just failing miserably all the time. You're getting punched in the face every day and kind of uh, running into walls and getting told no, 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 no. And then there's like this one maybe that keeps the hope alive till you maybe get to a yes. And Sounds so- like my dating life. <laughs> I thought you had a girlfriend. I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah, that, she was the maybe. She was the maybe. <laughs> I finally got her. <laughs> Rubbed her in. Persistence, man. Yeah. Um, told her I had a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't work. That's like... Uh, it's like saying you're a DJ or something. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Everyone like, has a podcast sweet. these days. Yeah, great. Um, 
so I think the the analogy that kind of kept us going is you know when you're when you have that ambition and when you are ambitious about what you want to do and what you think you can do and 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 we here at Pure and at the WSL are really ambitious with what we think we can do. Um, you know when you're looking at up the mountain that you're climbing, the peak always seems really far away. It's like oh my god, it's so far. I'm so tired. We're we're just so far. We're never gonna get there. But if you stop and you look back and you look down and you're like oh holy shit we climbed pretty far oh all right cool and that's how i generally feel is is you know i'm looking up and i'm going we have so much more to do so much more to build i mean we are we are tiny i've been here 18 months there's way more to go um we're currently a team of two on the pure side of things so uh, all sustainability and all of what we're doing on the pure side of things is essentially a team of two as of two months ago before that it was just me but leveraging all the wsl's bandwidth and we're already a pretty uh thinly resourced organization we really get a lot our team across the wsl does amazing work to get this stuff done right so we leverage the wsl social team and the editorial team and the creative team the marketing team the legal finance broadcast production like all these teams essentially are giving extra time above and beyond to make this stuff happen and so we've accomplished a lot with that but we look up and we go all right we got a lot more that we can do yeah and so that's kind of that's the way i approach it you know yeah i think it's a good way to put it man you you got to keep score in these long-term games and the fact that most pro surfers now are talking about plastic pollution and weren't 10 years ago shows that the needle is moving um I want to ask you, and we can't hang on. I don't want to seem like Pure is taking credit for that. I no, think I don't know. So no, many no. groups, like this, is a really important thing because there are so many groups out there. And I don't think you were saying that, but I wouldn't want a listener to walk away going like, "Oh, oh cool, fucking Reese he's the man." Yeah. Just, yeah. just taking credit, just putting it, putting himself in the center. Real cool, man. <laughs> um, no, I mean there are so many. I mean, Surfrider Foundation has been around for thirty odd years. You know. Um, Save the Waves is doing incredible work. There are so many groups out there that have done amazing work. The, the girls at Bye Bye Plastic Bags, Malati and Isabel, are incredible. And, I mean, those are two young girls who started in high school and have now created a whole movement for Indonesia, and Bali has now banned plastic bags. That's because of them. And, you know, they are their message broke through to the athletes. You mm. know, when we when I introduced the girls to, to Steph, and, and they were like, to Steph Gilmore, this was in Bali uh, two years ago, and, and they were just like, "Whoa, holy crap, this is amazing!" You know, um, so it's the work of a lot of us, and it's really hard to pinpoint any one group and say you're the one who, who's doing this or that. It's rising tide raises all boats, and and any of us in the space, whether it's Chad Nelson at Surfrider or Chris Evans, like we we're talking about before, will all say, you know, we all need to kind of work together and or like work in parallel. Right? I'm a big fan of that, of knowing, hey, that's your space, and that's one thing we've been pretty wary of with pure is not trying to come in and take anybody else's thunder and saying okay that's your space you're really good at that thing you do that we're going to try and elevate your story mm. and so we've been trying to use our platform to not just say this is what pure is doing but here's what buy by plastic bags is doing and right. that's really incredible that's yeah well put sir anyway well I just, put. it's a team effort i'm I, no I got, hero <laughs> just an everyday person doing amazing things i'm just a fan of everybody i mean I, I look up to the work that so many of the leaders of these organizations are doing yeah i think it's really incredible uh how does the wsl primarily generate revenue whoa hard pivot yeah are, you, are we done talking about environmental stuff or what? Me, I mean, never. I'll never. probably always bring it back. I'm to interested. I mean, I'm I'm just a fan enjoying sure. myself, but I'm interested. I, I want to know more about 
uh, if you're willing to talk about it, just how that whole machine works to the extent that you understand it. Yeah, I mean, as far as I understand it, it's mostly sponsorships, mm-hmm. um, partnerships, media rights, stuff like that, right? That's that's most of it. Right. Um, I'm not expert enough, or, and I don't know the numbers enough, and luckily don't have to. That's not my job, right. which is great, because when I was in startups and I had to, it, that's, star- that's okay. stressful. Um, I'm really happy uh, focusing on sustainability and ocean conservation. Right. Um, but it is primarily around the sponsorships and uh, partnerships driving a lot right. of our revenue. Okay. And do the Ziffs of, op- own the WSL, is that correct? Th- they're part of our ownership group. They're yeah. part of the ownership yeah, yeah, group. Yeah. Okay. And who are they? They're incredible. Um, they're wonderful people, Dirk and Natasha. And um, yeah, they're part of an ownership group that uh, uh, did the deal with the ASP a few years back. And um, they're just incredibly passionate people who surf and love the ocean. And so they have um, you know, enabled us to uh, realign the business in a way that I think is really exciting. And they, and they have a vision for it and they believe in the long-term vision and, and, and uh, ability for surfing to be a truly transformational sport. I mean, that's what we're all about here now. It's not just we're running competitions. And, it, and if you look at the business as a whole, I mean, we're really interesting. We you know, are the governing body for the sport, also events owners and operators, and we also run the broadcast, and oh, by the way, we have studios and everything, so that we're kind of vertically integrated to, to do all this stuff, and so it's really unique structure, and we're able to make decisions that a lot of other businesses might not be able to, and we're willing to put time and effort into telling ocean conservation stories, into um, developing, uh, you know, equal rights for women in, in terms of pay, and trying to grow the women's side of the sport as well, and so um, that's all enabled by our ownership and leadership in general. Mm. And we're trying to, you know, at, at the highest level, you know, surfing is a, a sport of transformation, right? It's, it's a transformational change. I mean, you were talking about with Boothman the other day, how he got you hooked on surfing and look at how that's changed your life, right? Like if he had not, would you be a skater somewhere was, doing something? My skin has become so much more leathery since Boothman got me into surfing. <laughs> primary shift in my life (laughs) this perpetually sunburnt nose uh yeah man you don't see a lot of uh people just staring at tennis courts all day right like surfing is one of those sports where people just go down and they space out and they watch the waves it's it's uh i think increasingly in our world where uh it's faster bigger more consumption the ocean is this really great metaphor that can help people slow down so to yeah. to be the business that is representative of that great human truth of um i mean essentially well-being really you know that's what that's why beachfront property costs so much um you know wallace j nichols talks a lot about that blue, in mind. The book. blue mind like it is a special space that you're in you know there are a lot of different great sports but to have um the i wonder if surfing is the most popular water sport has to be right you sure think, right? i'll claim it yeah, yeah. totally definitely 100 percent. besides like ocean kayaking those guys are <laughs> coming up on your heels right? i don't know i mean swimming swimming maybe because like everyone can swim if you look at the funnel you have to swim before you surf maybe so theoretically yeah not necessarily i heard Razal tanjung didn't learn how to swim until after he got good at surfing so the fable goes i actually i'd believe that yeah it could be um but yeah, you Rizal's know, another legend yes. as well in Indonesia. <laughs> For round two, we're just gonna have Reese talking shit about people. Because round one, he was way too nice. What? No, he's no, a legend. He, he's no, a, he he's is. been super helpful to us in Indonesia, and, and you know, he's making the environment. I'll bring it back to the environment. I mean, he's got kids now, you know, so he's seeing it. He's seen all that change. Mm. Anyway, sorry. Do you have kids? I do not. You don't. 
but you still care about the world. <laughs> what the hell, man? Uh, I have two nieces and a nephew. Um, and I, I care about the world because I care about the world, period. Uh, not just for the animals and marine life, but for our own sake. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. But I think the, 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 the kid question is an interesting one in the environmental movement. A lot of people debating whether or not they have kids and all that. Um, well, it's but, also a major point that people have. Like, we got to leave it to the kids. Right. You know, but I, I but I question that uh, that as a motive to protect the environment, right? Oh no! It, but but a lot of going to change in our lifetime. Yeah. Like, right. let's, okay, kids, sure, but like being selfish, shit's going to get hard for us in our lifetime, and so you know we have to figure out solutions. And I think sometimes when people are like, oh, the kids, they get it. You know, they're going to figure it out, or like they're all fired up. They got it. It's like no, 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 no. We we de- like yes, we need them. But we need to also act now. Mm. We all need to do whatever we can as soon as we can. Um, at least that's my personal opinion. Um, I believe in states' rights and freedom. <laughs> sure, that's cool. Do you know what's interesting though? Is like the you know it's a lot of these de- debates you know between uh, uh, liberals and and conservatives and it, in a lot of ways like you take the argument. For example, we were talking earlier about Alec, right? Like. Yeah what is the more free thing to do? Is it for citizens to be able to create a ban in their community, right? Everyone comes together and they vote on something. They say, hey, this product is is harmful. Or is it, uh, or like, it's like, who's more woke? It's like, who's more free, you know? Or Alex then coming in and saying, well, no, you we're, we believe in free market capitalism in a way that you can never ban this bag. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's strange the arguments that people make to push for their team. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's like a whole nother like branch of this discussion. Dude, this is where we're going. This is a podcast. This is where we're ready for it. (laughs) Hold my hand. We're gonna take a jump. We're we're going off the talking points. You ready for it? Yeah. Um, Or like patriotism, right? You look at you know a lot of people on the right talk about being a patriot. Yeah. And what that means. Well, what are you patriotic about? When I think about myself as an American, as a California, the thing, some of the things that I'm most proud of, if I have someone from Chile who comes up and stays at my house, yep. I want to show them the, my natural beauty. Like, mm-hmm. what is it that I have around Santa Cruz? That, that, and it's not, and it's, it's not necessarily the food. It's what is just here and untouched and unmolested by development right. that I am most proud of. So in a way, that is what makes me most patriotic. So environmentalism is patriotic. Oh, I agree. Isn't that deep? I'm just on a rant here. Are you ready for it? No, this is great. Yeah, I, I, that cold brew kicked in yeah. a second ago, and you're, you're going, this is rad. Um, <laughs> you can just leave. I'm just going to keep talking right now. <laughs> I'll give you both mics. I, I just, yeah, and I just go until every listener leaves. That's that's when I finally shut up. Interesting. Like, I noticed that listening to the podcast. You yeah. always come in and say goodbye at the end. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> So, no, I, I think it's an interesting thing around patriotism. I think, you know, relevant to that point, is, you know, like Surfrider uh, has their campaign right now, right now, United States and Oceans of America, right? And I think what's really interesting about that is almost all of the chapters of Surfrider's network have embraced that message. Um, there are, at, there is at least one chapter that has not, uh, and that is their right to do so. And Surfrider has no problem with that. They're like, that's your right. If you don't agree with the flag because you think the flag represents some stuff that 
doesn't represent you as a chapter, that's okay. And I think that's one of the most beautiful examples of here's a campaign that's about the environment and tying it to patriotism. And we're trying to like bring that back and, and be in the middle of the, the red blue divide, which is great. And then here's a chapter that's theoretically on the blue side, but they go, you know what? I'm, I'm not into that. And, and then Surfrider going, that's okay. And I think that's a really good, healthy sort of discourse and example of that. I agree, because it lets more people into the conversation. Yeah. And I think that one of the great uh, mistakes of the environmental movement is, or at least the the way, the mistakes that, I don't want to call it a mistake, people perceive that if you want to be an environmentalist, you have to look a certain way and talk a certain way. Right. right? But I'm friends with a lot of hunters that don't look like environmentalists, but right. they love the outdoors. Totally. And I think that making the circle bigger is a way that you can, as you said, you know, you diversify the people involved and you diversify the stakeholders. And be inclusive. Yes. It's really important to include those voices um, you know, as, as early on in any of these conversations you can, whether it's local communities um, or whether it's just, you know, thinking about your strategy, uh, you know, including men, women, you know, young, old, et cetera, everyone's going to come with a different opinion and perspective and that helps you develop a better strategy. And so um, I think that the environmental movement, uh, yeah, it, it is changing and growing and diversifying and that's a super healthy thing. And I think that um, what I, what I would like to see uh, is, like being okay with some of the gray, you know, I think sometimes people feel like, oh, I drive a truck. I can't be an environmentalist or I can't talk about climate change because someone's going to call me out or like I still eat bacon or like hamburgers or something. Right. And they feel like, all right, that like disqualifies them from caring about climate change. It's like, that, that's okay. Like You can eat a burger. I mean, you know, it'd be better if you didn't, but maybe just eat less burgers. Maybe just, you know, think about other ways you can be a part of this movement. Just because you do something that is bad for the environment doesn't mean that you can't be an environmentalist. Mm. And that's a gray area that I have, you know, tried to, uh, you know, really wade into fully and, and, and organizationally bring us into is that, hey, we're not perfect. We're not trying to be perfect. We're never going to be perfect. We just need to be better. And that's what I'm, that's kind of our position on sustainability from the WSL standpoint. Cause the best thing we could do would be to shut up, shut down shop and like stop doing what we're doing. Right. Same thing, Patagonia, right? Like the best thing they could do for the environment theoretically would be to stop. But if they stop doing what they're doing, then they have no more platform and funds to do all the great work that they do. And they're trying to do what they do better and better and better every day, which is really important and great. And so the same thing here, it's how do we do what we're doing better? How do we continue to get better and, and go down a path? Let's not look at everything as black and white. You're on this team or you're not. It's, yeah, there are different shades of environmentalism. And how do we bring people into that? And I think that's, I think that's, I think that's a strength that we need to leverage and continue to use to recruit more people into our movement. Have you ever heard of a book called Switch? Um, By Dan and Heath. Heath Chip. Uh, Chip. Yeah. Yep. Well, so I've, I never read Switch. I read Made to Stick. Yes. Yes. That's another good one. Um, in Switch, they have uh, this bit about it's the, the tagline is how to create change when change is hard. And they have this good uh, bit about Martin Luther King and his communication strategies and how inclusive he was. So, yeah. you know, his great lines were like, uh, we are all brothers and sisters. And some of our brothers and sisters are not being treated with the same respect and dignity as others. And by making that statement, he draws this massive circle that yeah. includes everyone, right? Yeah. Where, rather than just getting on your side of the line and saying, you have to look like me and talk like me and be like me to consider yourself 
uh, someone who cares about the natural world. Right. right. So I think that those kinds of communication strategies are really fascinating. I recommend Switch and Made to Stick to everyone. Made to Stick, and uh, you know the the lesson for Made to Stick that I that has stuck with me is the, just the curse of knowledge. Right. Just understanding your own personal curse of knowledge, and that I think is super relevant as we think about these conversations that we're having. Right. I bring to every conversation all that is within my brain and my past and history and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, how often in our daily lives do we send an email to somebody and in that email is, you know, 70 words or whatever, but behind those 70 words is a million thoughts that I've had that don't get to you in that email. You just read, Hey man, are we going to meet up later? Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And then if you don't read my mind through that email, I'm like pissed off at you or whatever it is. Right. And all this context gets lost. And so, um, I have the curse of knowledge of everything that's in my head and, and you have your own sort of position and, uh, you know, you don't have all that context for that message that I'm delivering. And so we always have to be thinking about, okay, wait a second. Do people know why we're here? What is the intention behind what we're doing? How do we frame things up in the right way? So people get the message that we're trying to get through to them. That's why I do thumbs up emojis at the end of all my emails. It's like, hey, we're good. I, just, I said, go fuck yourself, but it was a, it was a light, funny one. Do you overuse exclamation points just to be safe? Oh, no, I never I never use exclamation points, man. I, I read a book uh, called On Writing Well. Uh, it's all about writing. I recommend it to anyone who's interested in becoming better. Like, if you read this book, you will be you will be a proficient writer. And he talks about the overuse of exclamation points. So I removed that very quickly from uh, my my emails. I find they get used a ton, and it's it's a way to feel uh, like, yay, everything's cool and exciting. And that's because we're all getting hit with a thousand emails every day, and everyone's like on edge. And I, I mean, we we of our generation or my generation, and maybe you're a little younger. I'm not sure. Um, I'm 45. You're doing great. Thanks. Yeah, I, I use lotion. <laughs> Just a minute ago, you were blaming Boothman for. Yeah, but then he, but, he, but he brought me to lotion, which oh, okay. has made it all uh, all worthwhile. Um, you know, we're all getting in. Our generation like has this world that we didn't ask for, or and or we built for ourselves, and we now just get you know emails and messages and Slack and WhatsApp and texts and da da da, and it's insane. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I I personally feel like technology is another great threat to our overall sort of existence. Um, yeah, there's a, a great guy named Tristan Harris who was a sure. you know Tristan Harris time not, time not well spent but yes I yeah know. time well yeah. spent that'll help get 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 you off your phone he does he has some great lines around um, the fact that every time you're on Instagram there are a thousand engineers behind every decision you make and if you knew that if you knew that their primary objective was to keep you on site as long as possible it would potentially change your relationship with the product. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to get outside and get outdoors and connect with that and ha- continue to have that connection. Or get me into VR where it's just as good as the outdoors. It's like, I want one or the other, really, because right <laughs> now the VR is just not up to par. I want not to, there. Yeah. I want to feel like I'm in a simulation. Maybe we're in a simulation right now. I think Elon would say there's no way to prove that we're not, right? Yeah. Damn. Hey, what have been some of the, uh, the the books and documentaries and resources growing up in this world that have impacted you most? You know, you've been in in this space for quite a while. Like, um, ha- were there any amazing books that you read growing up, or, or documentaries that you watched that had a real big impact on you? Um, yeah, I mean, there have been tons. I'm trying to think. I think you know, there's a time and place, and. Uh 
I think there are certain documentaries that just hit really hard and they hit everyone really hard. I mean, The Cove, Blackfish, Chasing Coral. I mean, I've seen Chasing Coral, I think, three times and I still cry. I'll admit, like, I literally, I just get sad when I see that. And then I get fired up at the end and I go, okay, I got to get to work. Right. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the arc that I go through is like, wow, this is so sad. Okay. Here's what I can do. I got to get back to work. Um, one that was particularly hit home that I don't think got as much airtime as some of those other well-known ones was racing extinction, which I thought was incredibly well done. And they have this one scene where they have like the last male uhu bird. I think it is. Um, I don't Have you seen the film? Yeah. Remember that scene? And the last male bird is calling out for a mate that will never come. And that scene just, just guts me. And I'm like, man, that is so screwed up. And we're a part of that. Okay, we got to get to work, right? I mean, that's that's always my takeaway is the kind of, it hits me and I feel down. And then I go, all right, how do we how do we work on this? How do I do my part? Now, I can't necessarily save that bird or save a species, but how do I do my part to contribute to this movement? Um, so there's been some of the films that, uh, you know, have hit home. You know, it's interesting about all those films that you mentioned. They, the whole narrative around all those films is the process of capturing the content. So the cove was the process of ca- yeah. of ca- of getting cameras in the cove, yeah. chasing corals, get getting the photos there to show that rate of change of bleaching. Yeah. Um, and how much like we like to hear we um, we don't love heroes because of their success. We love them because of how they try. That, that was one of the rules, like Pixar's thirty rules of storytelling. Right. You know, and and I, I think that a lot of the best environmental stories, it's not about success or failure. It's about this process of trying that gets us to become invested in the human narrative. Yeah, well, you have to because, unfortunately, if you just had a film that was only focused on coral, you'd lose a lot of the sort of the viewership, right? It wouldn't be as exciting necessarily to your average viewer um, because corals can't talk. Whales, right. whales can't talk. Dolphins they can talk. They well, can talk. dolphins and whales can talk, but not to us, or we can't understand them. They are talking to us, and we're not understanding. Um, <laughs> you ever heard Joe Rogan's Netflix special bit on dolphins about how he eats this weed brownie, and he's out fishing, and he's like, man, how fucking smart are these dolphins? Because we're out fishing, and you don't catch a dolphin, ever. He's like, if you were walking down Manhattan and there was just a hamburger in the <laughs> sky, like, you'd catch people all the time. They'd be like, fuck it, I'm going to try yeah dolphins are smart i haven't heard that bit um they're incredibly smart but i I guess my point is is that unfortunately the the ocean doesn't have a voice it's telling us things but it doesn't have a voice that we can understand necessarily in our day-to-day and so when it comes to filmmaking storytelling etc we need the human element to tell those stories and so that's where you know we have to look to that human struggle of the the team uh behind chasing coral to tell that story um or we have to look to some of our other kind of uh, heroes in the space or, you know, to, you know, surfers. And we need them to, to, to communicate this to us so we can understand it. Um, yeah, the human element's really impor- important. Yeah. We're, we're the ones doing the damage. And so we need to be part of the, the storytelling that can help solve it. So moving forward, uh, how can people get involved in Pure and what are the big projects that you are excited to tackle coming up yeah for sure so we just made three big commitments uh on the wsl side of things and and with pure so uh we've committed to go going carbon neutral 
which is pretty exciting. So, uh, you know, we hold, host events all over the world. We fly all over the world to have those events, and our Scope 3 emissions are significant uh, relative to, um, you know, the rest of our business. And so we're offsetting all of that for Championship Tour, Big Wave Tour, all the WSL-owned uh, and operated sort of operations. And How so, do you offset? So we're doing that through investing in uh, certain projects germane to our different geographies. Mm, good word. Thank you. Um, relevant to, in, uh, whatever. Um, so projects that are relevant to our different geographies, um, so Asia Pacific, uh, Europe, Middle East, Africa, North America, South America. So we have projects in each region, and those projects are uh, focusing on uh, restorative sort of um, habitat. That's, that's a focal area for us and or renewable energies that we feel really strongly in. So an example is in Borneo in Indonesia, uh, we are offsetting our carbon footprint, a certain percentage of that in that region um, by protecting peat swamp forest. Peat swamp forest is really good at storing carbon. It stores it really fast. Um, there's a ton of biodiversity in this forest. And so we are essentially buying these offsets, protecting that area, and that helps store carbon from our atmosphere. In Brazil, we have a couple projects, one of which is a wind farm. Wind energy is one of the number two most important things we can be investing in if we're going to draw down carbon. Uh, if you look at Project Drawdown, I don't know if you've checked that out at all, but Project Drawdown is the list of 100 most important things we need to do to uh, essentially slow anthropogenic climate change. I won't say fight climate change. I don't like to say fighting or battling or stopping climate change. Dance with. Make love to. Ooh. Ooh. I'm going to make sweet, sweet love to climate change. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I like dance with. Up. Dance with is like wrestling with, tangling with. Um, Let's tango climate change. <laughs> <laughs> um, see, Nick Strong Svetich would be better at like going back and forth with you on this. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a good heckler. He, he's, he's really solid back and forth. I just, uh, you're, you're cracking me up. Um, <laughs> so I have no, I have no retort. Um, but anyway... So we, we kind of mapped our projects to some of those high-ranking drawdown projects and looking at you know what is really going to move the needle and what also provides good opportunity for storytelling and is relevant to kind of what we believe in, right? So there are methane digesters out there. Uh, there are all sorts of technologies like that that are cool, but those aren't the things that we're most excited about. Um, so that's the start. We're looking to reduce our footprint over time. We're also looking to expand that to include, you know, fans and our partners and, and get more people to go down this journey. You know, last year we were one of the first professional sports leagues to sign on to the United Nations framework uh, for climate, convention, uh, climate change convention, which had a sports for climate initiative. So it's essentially uh, underneath the UN's um, framework. They said, we think sports are a, a powerful platform for transformational change. We want to see sports leagues and teams and, and, and federations step up and act on climate. Who's going to do this? And so uh, we heard about it early on, and we raised our hand to be a part of the founding signatories along with the IOC, um, World Sailing, uh, FIFA also signed on. So there a bunch of groups, and now the Yankees signed on, and a bunch of the major tennis tournaments signed on. And so we're starting to see momentum in the sports arena of saying, hey, we got to act on this. Climate change is important. So we got to go carbon neutral. We got to offset our footprint. So we want to continue to expand that program. That's, that's, that's great, a huge one. man. That's so important. I love that. Have you ever seen a documentary called Not Just a Game? No. Uh, it's, it's an older one, but it's all about the um, sociopolitical influence of sports. Um, and I mean, you could also take uh, 
example of uh, the, the more recent documentary, Icarus. You ever see Icarus, the Netflix film about doping in, um, in oh, cycling? Oh, I, I didn't get to see it yet. Right. So, th- so they talk about um, uh, Russia's uh, blood doping program. Right. Uh, and they get the head scientist to come on and, and talk about this, uh, this state-funded doping program. Right. Uh, but one of the points that they make in it is that after Russia won um, the Olympics, they took home a ton of gold medals. Putin's um, uh, Putin's ratings went through the roof, and then Russia uh, it, it basically emboldened Russia to attack Crimea. Um, so it, it's this great example of sports and the influence that it has on politics sure you won some um, gold medals you're feeling cocky you're feeling good yeah, and, nation. and everyone else is feeling good i mean you, you could take the the uh documentary invictus uh where nelson mandela focused on the Springboks because he knew that by galvanizing the Springboks and the nation they would be um primed to undergo uh, an apartheid shift um and this documentary uh, not just a game talk talks a lot about the militarization of certain sports. Like, you know, you look at football. Like, why is it that we have fighter jets fly over football stadiums? Why is it that we have soldiers on the field? Like, that's a very strange connection that we don't really question. But yeah. and it's obvious that you're like, yeah, go team. Like, woo, <laughs> let's go bomb some people. I mean, score a touchdown. What, what, what am I supposed to be rooting for here? <laughs> right? So I, I think that it's it's really great that surfing is taking a stand as um, an environmentally focused sport as it should be. Kelly Slater has that great quote. You kind of have to be an environmentalist if you're a surfer. Totally. Um, and I, I think what's really cool about surfing is how global it is. You know, you look at our amazing fans and surfers coming out of Brazil. You look at the long history of surfing in Australia. You look at the growth of the sport everywhere. I mean, we recently, um, you know, uh, launched a campaign called Stop Trashing Waves as part of our, uh, for World Oceans Day, we announced our commitments, which I said one of them, I'll get to the other two. But uh, we then on International Surfing Day in partnership with Surfrider Foundation, uh, launched a global paddle out. And so we asked people to paddle out, you know, show your uh, commitment to protecting the ocean, right? And we want to show that film to whatever governments we can and say, look, the surfing community is here to step up and protect the ocean. We had participation in over 30 countries. And some of, the, some of that participation was just a couple people. But that's, the particip- that's what I love is that a couple people in the Falkland Islands, people in Fiji, Bangladesh, the Maldives. I mean, we had four kids in Bangladesh. They printed Stop Trash and Waves on a banner and got out there and they said, hey, we're in on this campaign. And so that that truly global sort of view of what surfing is and it's a global sport. And I think what's cool about it, too, is that it, it you know, to me, football is kind of owned by the NFL and by, you know, college football. Like there's no free NFLers. Right, or, you know, like you have free surfers, but like there's no one like out kind of playing. I mean, maybe Colin Kaepernick kind of, but he still needs the NFL to as a platform. And so um, we want to move beyond just the competition. And it's it's about surfing writ large and leveraging that as a platform. Right. And and, and um, pushing people to, you know, think about their day to day and their interaction with the ocean. So that's what's exciting about it is is there's opportunity for us around the globe to rally surfers to really be those people and and i'm not saying that they aren't already i just think there are so many more that can become a part of our cause 
I'm sold, Reese. Let's get you in front of the camera with Joe Trapel, man. You're great on the mic. Appreciate it. Joe's the man. Uh, the whole team's great. Thank you. Thanks for thanks for having me. Are we wrapping it up? Is yeah, that, let's wrap that, it up. That any felt fi- like a wrap up. Any final thoughts? We've been going for an hour. Um, no, I, I I just say you know thank you um, for having me. I'd say thanks to all the amazing groups that are out there doing incredible work. I mean, and yourself included. I know you've participated in a bunch of stuff. I know you've gone down and done cleanups uh, in it was Mexico, right? I'm just, you know the biggest thing that I do is I have sex educators on my podcast, so I'm teaching surfers how to communicate their needs with their girlfriends. I think that's the greatest uh, gift I've given to the surfing world is having sex ed teachers on my podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, thank you for that gift that you, you give us and give the world. Um, no, I would say there are so many great people doing incredible work. We are trying to be a platform to raise up those stories. Uh, people can go to wslpure.org to learn more. Uh, We have a mailing list. You can sign up there. There's going to be a lot more coming over the coming months. Um, Like I said, the ambition is sky high for what we think we can do. Um, And we're just kind of marching towards that. Great, man. I'll be watching. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm going to play out the song by Jerry Johnson. Jerry listens to this podcast. There's some groovy saxophone instrumentals in this one. And uh, I don't think I've played this song before. I will link to his band page in the show notes below as well as on my website, kyle.surf. Hey, before you go, would you like to get an email from me just once a week? I am starting to write a short story, something that I'm musing about in an effort to get off my ass, actually sit on my ass and write more. Uh, So I write a short story every week and make your inbox vibrate with love and sunshine. So if you would like that, uh, you can sign up uh, below. I will put a link to it there or go onto my website, kyle.surf. I think I mentioned uh, I highly recommend the book, The War of Art, and I just included it on my website in the book club. So if you want to get it there, you can click that and I'll get a small percentage of that Amazon purchase at no cost to you. So you can buy that book off Amazon. You can sign up for my email list. You can give this podcast a little rating on iTunes. It takes about 30 seconds and it really helps boost the visibility. Or you can just go out into the world and give someone an awesome compliment that brightens up their day. First and foremost, do that. Secondly, write a comment or a a rating. Third, sign up for the email list. Fourth, uh, go out and what do I want? What do I want you guys to do? Um, Kate, next bug you see, tell the bug that you love it and give that bug all of your attention for 10 seconds and then move on with your day. That's my homework for all of you. But until next time, reach out to me anytime. You can reach me on Instagram or on my website, info at kyle.surf. That's where you can send the voice memos. All right. Hope you enjoy this song by Jerry Johnson. This is called Discovery.